Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment. Hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Official airline, Alaska Airlines. Get 20% off using promo code RADIO20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival. Hello everyone, and Deputy Prime Minister Oliver Dowden, thanks for being with me here at Founders Forum at Soho Farmhouse for this live episode of the Bloomberg UK Politics podcast. We're in a room full of founders. What's your elevator pitch for UK PLC? Well, my elevator pitch is that the UK has been and remains and will be even more so the best place in Europe and one of the very best places in the world tech. We have an unashamedly pro-tech government and we are determined to make sure that we preserve our place at the front of the pack to be a place where people want to come and invest and innovate and reap all the benefits that tech brings to our country and to the rest of the world. This is the place to be. And we do have major success stories like ARM but some of them are choosing to list, like I'm in New York. So talk me through the conversations that are happening in government. How do you think about growing businesses, keeping businesses and growing the economy? Well, I, I actually go back to when I first started in government, not as um, a member of parliament, but when I was uh, an advisor to then David Cameron, who was the, the prime minister, and I was his deputy chief of staff. And we had a real push from 2010 onwards to really position the UK as a global tech hub. Uh, George Osborne as Chancellor was heavily engaged, people like Rowan Silver, Steve Hilton and others. We really wanted to send a signal that the UK was open for business. This was a place to invest in the United Kingdom. And we've reaped the benefits of that. And indeed, I saw the benefits uh, when I was Digital Secretary. And we worked to make sure that the UK was an incredibly successful place for tech. And that all the stats still bear that out. We have more unicorns, I think, than France, Germany, and Sweden combined. We're one of only $3 trillion tech economies alongside China and the US. But what has happened during that period of time is that others have seen our success and they've copied what we've done and are starting to snap at our heels. And I think what we have to do now, and what I know that the Prime Minister and the Chancellor are committed to doing, is making sure that we take another big step forward and maintain ourselves ahead of the pack. And frankly, it's just like any business. You go through a period of innovation and investment, you reap those rewards, but you've got to be looking all around to see that you're, because your competitors are gonna be doing the same thing. We've got to take that next step forward. And the reason why I have confidence in our ability to do this is first of all, we have in the prime minister, somebody who's the real deal. He genuinely, I think he has been described as a, a tech bro. I think it was meant as an insult, but I, I actually take it as a compliment. Somebody who gets how tech works, who gets what's required, who has himself uh, been an investor. You've got someone in the chancellor and indeed in me as deputy prime minister, who've been heavily involved in the tech sector through our ministerial portfolios. This is my, um, my third time at, at Founders Forum and I've met countless tech entrepreneurs over the years. I get it, the Prime Minister gets it, the Chancellor gets it, that we need to do more to make sure that we stay ahead of the pack. And I hope that people are seeing, for example, in relation to what we're doing to, in relation to AI and other areas, 
we're starting to demonstrate that in action. Is part of the problem that the regulators seem to be more on the side of the consumer than the tech bros? Well, look, we have independent regulators uh, in this country, and it wouldn't be appropriate for me as a, a minister to start um, giving a running commentary on decisions that are made by our independent regulators. But I would just uh, observe a couple of things. So one is that I do think it's important in making the UK an attractive destination that we have clearly independent regulators and, and rule of law, and I wouldn't want to do anything to undermine that. At the same time, I think ministers have a role in setting the strategic direction for uh, regulators, and I think it's important that we take that uh, duty seriously, and I'm certainly listening to those concerns uh, as are as is the, the Chancellor and others. And I think that's the, the appropriate way to, to, to proceed. But uh, I still think that the UK is an incredibly attractive destination to make those um, investments. And I see, uh, for example, I'll just give you an example. I was at the London Stock Exchange on Monday and we had an event for uh, Indo-Pacific investors. And we had a huge number of companies, I think it was about 600, who came here. I met with many of them. And actually, when they come to the UK and they actually see what the environment is like, they're massively attracted to it. So we need to do the work to convince people that, that this is an attractive place to invest. And it still is, actually. If you look at the numbers, our investment massively exceeds places like France, Germany and elsewhere. But actually, France has overtaken the UK as Europe's top destination for FDI. Jan de Plessis told Bloomberg that part of the problem is executive pay, that we have a cultural issue with high executive pay. Do we? Uh, no, I wouldn't accept that, uh, that characterisation. Uh, of course, there are different cultural attitudes in, in different countries, and uh, you, you can see slightly different attitudes in the, the, the US and elsewhere. But I think what we have sought to do is, first of all, we maintain a very low tax environment still. We still have the lowest corporation tax uh, in the, but you have the, hiked the, it the, the, from 19% to 25%. Yes, but we, we still have the lowest corporation tax in the, the G7. And alongside that, we have very, very strong investment incentives. So, for example, when Rishi Sunak was Chancellor of the Exchequer uh, and Jeremy Hunt has carried this forward, we've had full expenses deductibility. That is an incredibly generous uh, investment incentive. Now, But it's only what, for three what, years. Would you consider making it permanent? Well, look. I'm going to say the, the old chestnut, which is true, which is that uh, spending decisions and tax decisions are a matter for the Chancellor. But, but what, I, what I would also say is the reason why I'm here and I'm spending a lot of time talking to tech entrepreneurs, the why, reason why the Prime Minister is doing the same thing, he hosted uh, an event at Downing Street. In fact, hosted three or four events at Downing Street, but a major dinner on, on Monday night, uh, which I was also at, is we want to hear from... Uh, from tech entrepreneurs. We want to hear from the founders that you have at events like this because we're clear about the direction we want to take the United Kingdom in. We need to have that further step forward to make sure that we continue to be ahead of the pack. And we're very much open to hearing what we can do to make sure we stay in that position ahead of the pack. And that goes across the entire panoply of things that we can do. And I know that the Chancellor is very much listening to representations about how we can make, continue to make the UK an incredibly attractive place to invest. One of the problems in Britain seems to be that we can't turn many billion pound companies into 10 billion pound companies or 100 billion pound companies. Bloomberg's on the hunt for 
startups to watch. Which startup are you watching? <laughs> I think... I, I think uh, much as I would be tempted to, to say the name of, of startups, I, I fear on two fronts. One, it could be the kiss of death for the, <laughs> that startup with a, a, a cabinet minister um, in, in endorsing them. But uh, I think the, the policy issue you raise is, is an important one. And how I kind of see the environment is this, which is that uh, a few years ago, there was a lot of talk about startups and were we providing sufficient investment for startups? Could people get startup capital? I think we're in a much better position on that than we were pretty much by common consensus. Then the debate moved to scale up, and I think I increasingly see in the, particularly in the, the London investment ecosystem, there's more and more um, firms uh, opening up who are able to match. Uh, scale-ups with that kind of, of capital. What we haven't done in the UK, and by the way, it's not happened uh, in pretty much any other country. Many European countries have exactly the same thing. Is we haven't got the, 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 the tech sort of super giants, as it were, the, uh, the Googles and Facebooks of this world. But essentially, it's really the, the US is the only ecosystem that has managed to do that. I'm actually quite optimistic that I think that if you look at the, first of all, the scale and pace of adoption of tech in the UK and the number of unicorns that we have, I think it's 163 on the, the latest count. We've, we've sown an awful lot of seeds. So I think there is potential for, for growth there. But also I think that, and this is what I've heard all this week and before, we're on the cusp of the next revolution in tech and the revolution that, I think will be bigger than all the rest of the revolutions combined. And over the next five years, as we see uh, AI truly come to fruition, it's gone from something when I was digital secretary, um, what it was only two or three years ago, when I was talking about AI, it was one of those things kind of in the far distance. Now it's absolutely at the center of every tech company I, uh, I, I talk to. And I think the UK is incredibly strongly positioned in that area. Actually, uh, we're the only country in the world that has those three enormous uh, AI companies at the, the, the forefront, US and UK. It's only the US and UK that has all three of them with having major presence. So I think with, I'm actually incredibly optimistic about the opportunities we have going forward. And when you were uh, running digital, you were also running culture you must be aware of the clash potentially between AI and the creative industries. Are you worried about job losses, uh, intellectual property? No, I'm, uh, I'm fundamentally not. Look, I know with any new technology, there, are, there is there's transition and there's dislocation that happens with that transition. It has been the case with every uh, uh, innovation. Of course, that will be the case with, with AI. But actually, a lot of the creatives that I'm still in contact with say to me, it is a wonderful tool. And actually, I was having this chat with um, Demis Havamas uh, on, on Monday, and he, we were both making the point that the way AI is going is actually tremendously democratizing. So it's gone from the domain where it's only a fairly elite group of coders who could really use AI. The, the way it's evolving now, most people will be able to access AI in a pretty... Uh, accessible form because of the kind of interfaces that are being put on it. And actually, I think it's got the opportunity to, 
to liberate the sort of, I think it's the right-hand side of the brain type, the creative people to actually be able to, to use this uh, technology. And I think that for countries like the UK, we have a huge opportunity because I think the application of creativity with the technology of, of AI means that we could make massive leaps forward. So I actually see it as an enormous opportunity in the creative industries. So to be the next Silicon Valley, do we need to take more of an approach that's move fast and break things when it comes to AI? I certainly think we have to move fast, <laughs> uh, and that's what we're doing. So uh, 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 just two, two examples of that. Uh, first of all, um, our investment in, in quantum, but also what the Prime Minister was doing in Washington, I think last week or the, the week before. Uh, I overwhelmingly see the opportunities uh, in, in AI, but also I think in order for people to be confident in the opportunities it presents, that we also need to give reassurance about some of the, the very uh, uh, sort of... Um, uh, exceptional chances of some of the things that could, could, could go wrong. And that's why uh, I think it's important that we give reassurance that as democratic nations we're addressing it, which is why I'm very excited about what the Prime Minister's agreed with President Biden. In, again, in an indication of how the UK is at the centre of this, we will have the world's first uh, AI summit bringing people together to address this in December this year. And I think that's the opportunity for us, that we have minimal, sensible, proportionate regulation. And then we just really uh, support innovation in this space and have that freedom. And we've got the fundamentals in place for us to be able to do that. So when you have people like Sam Altman warning that AI could wipe out the human race, is that just hype for headlines? Uh, no, I, I, I don't think it's fair to say that it's hype for headlines. I think what it is is for those companies, it is actually those companies saying to us, look, government has um, a role to play. And we want to make sure that as we innovate and bring these huge benefits to, to society, and I, I keep coming back to benefits, it's really important we focus on the, the benefits uh, as well as the risks. And for me, the benefits massively outweigh the risks. If you just take, for example, you know, I have responsibility in some sense for public service provision across the board as Deputy Prime Minister. AI is the one technology where I think actually genuinely we could get more for less in the next 10 years in health in education we could massively improve outputs whilst not <coughs> increasing inputs so that's where the, the focus needs to be but i we do have to take seriously the threat coming back to your original question for me we do have to take seriously the uh, the, the sort of points that are being raised by them which is why we are and why we've got this a process we're starting with the, the US. For me, though, it's got to be targeted and it's got to be precise and it's got to be about dealing with that somewhat remote possibility, but a, a possibility that has been flagged nonetheless and make sure we take sensible and proportionate steps to address it. But these aren't things that are, you know, a long way off. You've suddenly got Microsoft dominating the landscape. Are we ready for the speed of this change? Well, I certainly think that the speed of the change is going to be much much faster than any other um, period of technological adoption. And uh, I think most people, even those who have a deep amount of experience in, in AI, have been quite taken aback by the speed at which this uh, technology is, is uh, evolving. 
Uh, and I think people need to be um, prepared for that. And uh, for me, certainly, you know, anyone who's interacted with, say, ChatGPT, and there's many flaws with ChatGPT, but it is, a, it is something, for me, was kind of a trigger moment for lots of people realising, actually, AI's gone from this thing that could be far in the future to, right, it's here now, and we can kind of see where it's going to go in the, 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 the next few years. I think overwhelmingly we need to be saying, right, what are the opportunities that come with that with public services or indeed all the tech business I've been speaking to this week all telling me about opportunities they see with AI, whilst at the same time for those remote risks making sure that we have some reassurance on it. And that's the, that's the kind of approach that the government is taking. I wonder if you ever muse about a world in which AI ran the civil service. <laughs> I'm sure civil servants may muse about a, a world in which AI runs the politicians. <laughs> but I, I think, actually, in all seriousness, from, from both sides, it has the opportunity to be a tremendous tool. What it can do is, and I, I see this with uh, the vast amounts of information we have, to accum we have to sift and understand as politicians and our civil servants have to, in to enable us to make decisions. If you can use tools to rapidly assimilate that and draw the most important information out of it, it's always then going to, and certainly for the foreseeable future, need, going to need a layering of highly capable civil servants who then think about how that fits together in terms of where the government's going and for politicians to be able to make the appropriate decisions off the back of it. Again, that is an example where you can drive enormous um, efficiencies. You know, if, if you think about the efficiency that was driven by a... Uh, a photocopy or a PC, you know, times that by thousands, probably millions, in terms of the efficiencies that can be driven by this, the, 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 the analytical skills of, of AI. And, and I think for the, this is a crucial thing, that the accessibility of it as well, you don't have to, increasingly, you don't have to sit down and kind of work out some wonderful program about how you deal with this specific area of government. You've got these kind of foundational technologies that have easy application across the board. We were joking about the culture in Westminster, but it's obviously not a laughing matter. It's uh, a serious matter today. While we're here talking about tech, there has been this morning's report uh, on Boris Johnson. What's your reaction? Well, look, this uh, report was commissioned uh, by the House of Commons. It's been produced by the House of Commons, and it's a matter for the House of Commons. Uh, it's not a matter for the government. I've actually been... Uh, I was out campaigning in uh, one of our seats this morning, and I've come here to, the, uh, to this Founders Forum and have been meeting with tech entrepreneurs. I haven't had a chance to, to read the report properly. I, 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 w I will do so, but ultimately... It's always been the case that it's up to Parliament and to individual MPs to make their decisions off the back of it. Does all the kind of scandal and the mischief kind of frustrate you and leave you with less time to engage with business than you'd like? Uh, no, it doesn't for, for me. And I think the job of um, senior politicians, indeed ministers across the board, is to make sure they retain their focus. And I certainly retain my focus on uh, delivering for the people that... Uh, electors serving the, the country and addressing the challenges that we face. And I can assure you that I've spent a lot, lot more time uh, over the past week discussing and engaging with 
people about the opportunities and challenges of AI than I have with any of the other things you've been talking about going on in Westminster. But, I mean, business hates this political uncertainty. What's your message to Boris Johnson? Uh, I'm, I don't have um, a message for, for, for Boris Johnson or for, for anyone else in, in that respect. But the, the, the message that I have for, for business is that uh, three things. First of all, I can assure you that the government remains absolutely focused on the, the job at hand. Secondly, that we have worked to bring back that stability to the UK economy, which people uh, rely on. And you have, and third, you have in the, the Prime Minister, in the Chancellor, indeed in me as Deputy Prime Minister, uh, people that want to ensure that stability, who get tech, who get the opportunities, and are determined we seize them to, to drive the, the prosperity of the of the nation, indeed the, the world in the years to come. We're halfway through the year, thinking about the five priorities. Inflation's sticky, growth's anemic, it doesn't seem to be going very well. Is the new target to just reduce inflation rather than halve it by the end of the year? Uh, well, I'd actually turn it on its head and say to you, inflation is falling, growth <laughs> forecasts keep being, keep being revised upwards, and of course, we stick by the, um, the, the, the target that we uh, set for inflation uh, when, when we announce those five priorities. But what it does require is discipline from the government. And that's why, for example, in relation to some of the difficult decisions we have to take in respect of public sector pay, we need to make sure that we steady the course because the one thing that is going to make everyone poorer is if we allow inflation to get out of control. And we are absolutely determined to bring inflation back down. That's core to the stability of the United Kingdom and it's core to making sure that we have the prosperity going forward. And yet when it comes to the strikes, especially with healthcare workers, that's not helping to cut the NHS waiting lists. In terms of the number of people who are economically inactive because they're long-term sick, that's at a record high. Is there any sense the longer these, things, these strikes go on that it's actually maybe worth settling? come into more of an agreement? Well, look, I, I, I deeply regret uh, these, these strikes. It is worth saying, actually, we have by and large settled uh, in relation to a agenda for change. That was accepted by the, the majority of people covered by agenda for change, which is, I, I think, pretty much the majority of, of healthcare workers. Clearly, there's a dispute going on with the, the junior doctors still. Uh, but it's also the case, actually, if you look at two-year waits, which soared over COVID, we've pretty much eliminated it. We are continuing to make progress. And on the point about um, the, 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 the long-term sick, and we're, we're actually starting to make progress. You look at the latest uh, uh, numbers, uh, labor market numbers, for getting people back into the labor market. But there's a lot more to do on that, not, not just on long-term sick, but uh, people who are thinking of retiring uh, early. That's why, for example, we made the pension changes or uh, helping people who've uh, who've had children back into to work, and that's why we've um, we've introduced the childcare changes. But do you need to, on childcare, maybe loosen immigration to get the staff to get the childcare reforms to happen faster? Well, going back to your previous question, my first dispensation <laughs> is to make sure that we get more people into the labour market from within the UK. But we have shown the flexibility to uh, to have immigration where it's needed, and actually. Coming back to why we're here at the Founders, 
forum, uh, probably less to discuss the, 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 the state of the NHS, as important as it is, more about the opportunities that uh, present to us in the, the tech sector. We have shown that flexibility about making sure we're able to get the, the brightest and the best into the UK to support the tech sector. And so to, to that agenda, uh, in terms of an industrial strategy, we were speaking to Archie Norman, the M&S chair. He said it's two words that the Prime Minister doesn't seem to want to utter. Um, in terms of how much you've put into semiconductors, do you worry that we just don't have enough money to put in enough to match the US and the EU's response to the Inflation Reduction Act? Well, I, I was actually discussing this with um, Archie Norman myself uh, last week. Um, Look, the, if, if you look at the, 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 the macro approach of the, the US, the, the EU, less in any individual sector, whether it's the chips or uh, whether it's a renewable technology and so on, uh, the US, the UK and the EU are um, pursuing slightly different approaches. I think there's, uh, there's validity in the different approaches. What the, the US has chosen to do is... Um, to make very large um, uh, investments in um, trying to uh, onshore again uh, tech. What, what we have done more in the UK, and I think uh, equally works very well, is that actually, uh, if you take, say, renewables, we have the kind of regulatory environment which probably isn't possible to deliver in the US, where people, investors in that sector, know that we have very stringent carbon reduction targets, uh, that actually we have uh, a regulatory system that rewards renewables. So people know that if they invest in renewables in the UK, there's a kind of regulatory environment that underpins and supports that. And that's the kind of approach that we've taken with renewables. If you take uh, in relation to uh, AI, uh, I talked about some of the, 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 the measures we're, we're, we're taking there to build on our position of, of having such strengths, particularly, for example, through our university sector. We've got four of the top ten universities in the world. So I think it's I think we're all kind of we're all kind of trying to do the, the, the same thing. For me, if you look underpinning all of that, it's important that across the UK, the US, the EU and other G seven uh, countries that that we have that kind of commonality so that we can within our own totality of ecosystems underpin uh, a thriving tech sector, particularly at the cutting edge, so that our economies remain at the front of the pack. It's not just a challenge for the UK, it's a challenge for the US and, and, and elsewhere. So I, I don't see it kind of uh, one, one model over the other. I think we have different approaches suitable to our, our economies. Is there a risk if we focus too much on what we do well, say R&D, that we're too reliant on our friends and allies around the world when those relationships maybe could go sour one day? Uh, well, of course, we have to make sure that uh, we maintain some core technological competencies, particularly from a national security perspective in the UK. And that's why, for example, we passed the National Security and Investment Act. I'm the, the decision maker under the National Security and Investment Act. The approach I take to that, though, is what we call... a uh, small yard, high fence. So I want to reassure most entrepreneurs and investors that the government has no interest and I have no interest in uh, getting involved or interfering in their commercial transactions to the benefit of the economy as a whole. But if there's a particular uh, part of technology that is really crucial 
to our national security interests and we have concerns about uh, where it may end up given the transaction, we, we will take uh, action to do so, to, to, to address that. And that, that's the way we're, uh, we're addressing some of the challenges you talk about there. So we've talked about the economics, we've talked about AI, we've talked about the politics. Do you really honestly think that you can win the next election? Yes. We're 18 months out. When are we going to get more detail on the policy? It seems a little bit to be like both parties are afraid that the other one's going to steal their clothes in the next 18 months. Well, look, for, for me, there's, uh, there's kind of three or four phases, right? So the first was when we came in to restore that economic uh, stability and the measures that the, the Chancellor and others took uh, have succeeded in doing that. We then set out for this year the core priorities reflecting the, the concerns of the British people, those four co core priorities, and we're working through those. Of course, as we go through this year and into next, we will be um, setting out more of the future direction. But those, we're not kind of, one is not preventing the other. And I think what you have saw with what the Prime Minister has said on uh, AI uh, this week and many of the strategies coming forward, you know, in my own area, We've got a very innovative piece of work on biological uh, security and also the opportunities that, that come with the biotech industry. Government is working away on all of those uh, as we speak. And crucially, at the heart of this engine, you've got a prime minister in Rishi Sunak who gets both the detail, and I've never known a, a prime minister that quite gets into the detail like he does, but also somebody that gets the vision about where we need to go as a modern economy. And I take tremendous faith from that. Finally, we're at Founders Forum, so I can't not ask you, what's the one app you couldn't live without and you can't say WhatsApp? <laughs> well, we, we do use WhatsApp a lot. Do you know what? I, will, <laughs> I know. I will say, a, I will say a, totally, a totally random one, which is a very, not a very sophisticated app, but um, I love hiking okay. and you no longer have to carry tons and tons of maps you just get your little os app and you just press this button it doesn't it's not required it doesn't require um wi-fi or anything else like that ultimately you don't get lost anymore because it tracks where you are and you only need you just have it on your phones so you don't carry it's one thing less in your rucksack maybe you could do some hiking here in oxfordshire <laughs> all right deputy prime minister oliver dowden great to have you on the bloomberg uk politics podcast and at soho farmhouse for founders forum thank you pleasure Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment. Hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Official airline, Alaska Airlines. Get 20% off using promo code RADIO20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival.